This episode contains material that might be triggering for some. If you need to stop the podcast at any time to take care of yourself, please do so. If you need support, you can call the 24-7 National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. Welcome to the Couch and the Chair. I'm Kate. And I'm Michelle. And we're two mental health therapists here to talk about our experiences in the therapy as clients on the couch and as therapists in the chair. Woohoo! I so know. Three. <laughs> it's so funny I, because we keep talking about the depression one as our first real episode. Yes. I was about to say oh, it's episode number two. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you're right. Episode number three. And uh, this one, we're actually tackling a topic that was suggested to us by a listener, which is the relationship with the therapist or the therapeutic relationship, however you want to phrase it. Yeah. yeah, I think either yeah. one works. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, what's hel- where's healthy, where's unhealthy, where are we, what have been our experiences with our therapists? So yeah, I think you're first this time, Michelle. I do get to go first. I just want to say too, like I was really excited when this topic got suggested and we had someone write in about this and wanting us to talk about it further because this is something that I think... I don't know. Does it just doesn't get addressed or talked about enough? Enough. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Like what happens in therapy is that basically the client shows up, they sit down, they're talking about something going on in their lives, um, but that it is really important to talk about how it feels from both perspectives, just to have that therapeutic relationship. Like it really is a sacred, one of a kind relationship. So. I, yes, I'm unique. excited to talk about it. I love this. And the more we talk about it, the more I'm like wanting to add more things <laughs> to the notes. So we'll see. To what you want to say when you're, when you're sharing. Rambly. That's I'm okay. Be careful. Rambly not to get fine. too <laughs> <laughs> Um. So let's see here. So I mentioned probably in the first episode that I have worked with uh, Celia, my therapist for over five years now just a little over five years and actually I think I'm going to backtrack ever so slightly because I mentioned too in the first episode that I worked with a therapist briefly when I was in college at the college Mm -hmm. counseling center and I remember there was one day where I saw her like get off of the bus and I don't know why, but just seeing her in the real world like not in the therapy office was just fascinating like <laughs> i was just like oh there she is somehow? yeah just like oh she's a person you know kind of a thing which <laughs> you know but then you see it kind of a thing and also too when i was seeing that therapist at the college counseling center she shared with me one day she's like oh i'm gonna be going to this class and giving this presentation and i think i was like I don't remember if she already knew I was enrolled in the class somehow, or I can't remember. And I was like, oh, I'm in that class. And she kind of went over the whole spiel with me because generally, this is best practice, is that if your therapist sees you in public, they don't acknowledge you. Um, Just for anyone (laughs) out there listening that's like, oh my God, what if I run into my therapist in public? Your therapist won't acknowledge you, or at least they should not. Um, Mm -hmm. It's best practice that you get to approach them 
if you feel comfortable doing so, but that they will respect your confidentiality and your privacy by not approaching you. And so she had a conversation with me about that as well, where she's just kind of like, nobody's going to know that you're my client. But I remember at one point, like she made eye contact with me um, and I felt like special. I was just kind of like, oh, like, you know, I don't know. Anyways, times when I have seen a therapist in public, I have not seen my current therapist in public ever, but um, I'm mostly going to be talking about the therapeutic relationship that I have with Celia because that's been the therapist that I've worked with the longest mm-hmm. and who I currently work with. And I just remember mostly when I first started working with her, I was really curious about her life. I remember mm. just thinking to myself, you know, I wonder if she has kids. I wonder If she, like, you know, lives in a house or an apartment, is she married? What pets does she have? Just, like, random things. I just had these thoughts probably go (laughs) through my mind for the first couple weeks of working with her. I can't really pinpoint why those thoughts were there, but I think it's just because you're getting to know someone within the confines of this room. And the nature of the therapeutic relationship is that you don't get to know a lot about your therapist typically or if you do it tends to unfold over time Mm -hmm. and just I think for me having these questions was part of me wanting to feel safe and being curious about if we were really going to be a good fit. These are not questions I ever asked of her or anything like that, but they <laughs> certainly went through my mind. I found myself thinking about her outside of session. And this is, I think, a very taboo thing that people don't want to acknowledge, but I want to say it's very normal. It's mm-hmm. very normal to wonder or have questions about your therapist and who they are. And Kate and I might talk about this a little bit when we talk about it from the therapist perspective, but sometimes we will think about our clients outside of sessions. Oh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, so this is all very normal and very natural, but I definitely experienced that when I was starting to work with her. And I can't remember exactly when it changed. I think just once I had been meeting with her for a couple months and I was feeling really comfortable and I was feeling like she really understood me, mm. then I didn't feel feel this curiosity so much about who she was. It just felt like it didn't really matter anymore because regardless of who she was, regardless of what her life was like, I felt like she was understanding me. I felt like I could share these things with her and like she got it, Mm -hmm. even if she'd never experienced it. And that was really important. So that kind of faded after the first couple months of kind of wondering, you know, who is this person who's sitting across from me? (laughs) It just kind of shifted and and changed. Um, The other thing that's been a big shift, I would say, generally speaking, especially having worked with her for five years, and I don't know if I can really exactly pinpoint when this happened, but I certainly remember at the beginning, those weekly sessions were like, a lifeline for me. I definitely felt like I needed therapy (laughs) and probably, you know, I would meet with her on Mondays. And so Friday, Saturday, I would definitely start 
thinking about, okay, I have therapy soon. You know, but it really did feel like a lot of my week revolved around this one hour that I would get with her. Yeah. And so I, I haven't ever contacted her. Or no, I take that back. I have contacted her outside of session once. Actually, pretty recently being like, hey, I, I need an emergency session with you. But even when it was during those times of needing, I didn't really contact her ever in between sessions, but boy, was I just ready and eager and waiting for my Monday (laughs) sessions. I just, oh, (laughs) I just really, really needed them is how it felt at the beginning. And honestly, it probably changed for me once I was going to therapy for different reasons. As I shared in the first episode, I started working with her because I was in this relationship that I was unhappy in. And once that relationship ended and I made the conscious choice to continue going to therapy to work on other things, it did really change for me. And I think I see this sometimes with my clients too, where it's like they come in with a thing, an issue, a problem. Sometimes that gets resolved very quickly. Sometimes that takes a long time (laughs) before it resolves or it doesn't ever fully resolve but if it does resolve and they continue to work with me just things change it shifts from like a needing these sessions to a wanting these sessions it's sort of what happened with me so I still absolutely look forward to my therapy sessions and my thought process around it is totally different now than it was at the beginning when I first started working with her um a lot of times like I'll wake up now Monday morning and be like oh yeah I have therapy today (laughs) (laughs) rather than how it was in the beginning where I'd be thinking about it days in advance I'm like oh my gosh I can't wait for therapy to get here I have so much to talk about it just has changed over over time and because of that I I think it's really important to point out that like even though the therapeutic relationship is a very unique relationship Mm. The commonality that it has is, I think, true universally of all types of relationships, which is that if you are in a long-term relationship with anybody, family member, friend, romantic partner, coworker, whoever it is, there's going to be times of a lot of intensity, and there's going to be times where it's kind of slow and, like, not much is happening. And then times where it's like, oh, my gosh, I feel really close to this person or like a lot is happening and we feel really, really connected. And then times where it's like, oh, I'm like hardly ever thinking about them or it just feels like we're kind of floating along or all relationships go through rhythms like that to some degree or another. And the therapeutic relationship is no exception. And so it's taken me a little while to get comfortable I think with the ebbs and flows of that within my own therapy because I remember when that shift sort of happened for me from needing therapy to just kind of wanting it and viewing it as like this nice thing I get to do every week but it wasn't my (laughs) lifeline anymore um for some people that's when they choose to discontinue therapy and that makes all the sense in the world but because I chose to continue I kind of questioned, you know, in the sense of like, well, am I getting as much out of this? Like, you know, that that kind of a thing. Um, But 
there are times and and it really happens i would say probably like once every couple months now where either because of something that happened in my life or just something that happens within the therapy session there is kind of this intensity or like this oh my gosh i'm so glad i had this session today <laughs> like i oh you know i just feel so much better now that i had this session and this you know deeper connection that feels like it happens with me and celia because of some kind of insight or something that happens and then there will be a couple sessions where it feels like nothing much happens and it's just kind of slow and just kind of checking in. And then there will be, you know, a light bulb session sort of a thing. And that this is all, again, very, very normal. This is just what happens when we're in relationship with someone. And so for me, some of it was really adjusting to that. But the biggest thing that I appreciate about the therapeutic relationship is just knowing that she is there for me and knowing too that, you know, we have had conversations here and there where sometimes she said something in session that did quite fit for me or I didn't quite understand. And we've been able to talk about it. And Kate and I have said this at times. Um, it's like, we love it when our clients bring issues to us and say things like, Ooh, I didn't really like it when you, when you did this. We love that because a therapeutic relationship is a safe place where you can do that repair work, where maybe if you brought a concern like that to a friend or a family member, they would not be open to repairing the rift with you. But that's been super healing for me is to have times where I've been able to say to Celia, hey, you know, this didn't really quite work for me. And she validates me and we adjust and we keep going. And that has felt really good too. So like know, models guess, repair, right? It models how to do healthy repair. Yeah, it, it just feels very safe, you know, because especially for me, which will probably be something that's talked about at some point <laughs> along the way on this podcast, Um, I have people-pleasing tendencies that run real deep and just not wanting to rock the boat and not wanting to tell somebody when they've done something that that has upset me. I just don't like to go there. And to be able to do it with her has been really healing. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Just the therapy relationship changes over time. <laughs> it, it, it really does. And that that's okay that's normal and you know kind of again where we're at now and sort of how our relationship has shifted she shares more with me now than she than she used to in terms of just personal things about herself um she shares a little bit more about that now and it just feels really really comfortable and I appreciate the comfort that I think can really only come when you've worked with someone for a decent length of time when you've worked with someone for months and years <laughs> there's a, just there's just a comfort that comes with that there's an ease that comes with it that is now present for me in my relationship with her as my therapist and it's it's been there for a couple years now and I just really appreciate it so that's that's my stuff um what about you Kate Oh gosh, let's see. Um, I was thinking, because you were talking about having seen your therapist for five years now, 
I could be wrong, but I think this is 10 years. For yeah, you have me even more therapist. time under your belt. <laughs> yeah, we've got a long ass time working together. Um, and so I know it's funny because you were saying, uh, talking about wondering if your therapist had kids. It wasn't too horribly long into our relationship together that I actually saw my therapist through her second pregnancy. Oh, um, uh-huh. <laughs> so I, I got to, you know, see that and everything else. But yeah, I think that right away, the, the part that just helped me settle into having a relationship with her at all was just feeling seen really right away. Like I'd, I'd had another therapist that I'd tr- like two therapists, I guess, very briefly, one for literally one session that. Yeah, I think he's probably the best example. Um, I saw this guy through my insurance at the time, and I just left and was like, well, I'm never going back to that person ever again, because he bought all of my bullshit. Oh. (laughs) I'm like, he's going to let me get away with with anything. (laughs) Like, I do not need a therapist who's going to call me on my shit, right? And so I just didn't, I never went back to see that guy. Um, And so I think, yeah, she had a good... Like, humor is really important to me, and I think she displayed that really early on. And I just remember her feeling really warm and that being really comforting um, and uh, helping to be, like, a place that I felt really safe. Um, That being said, I I don't remember having nearly as much curiosity, Michelle, as you were talking about having with your person. But I do do remember, like, making up motivations. So I'm much more relaxed about this than I used to be, but I spent a considerable portion of my life being a little bit obnoxious about being punctual. Um, Like when I'd I'd tell people in my life that I was running late, they'd be like, are you running late, late or Kate late? And Kate late was being less than 15 minutes early, right? (laughs) Like I could not tolerate lateness. Um, My therapist, Nicole, is prone, I now know to being two to four minutes late starting sessions. And I used to think she was doing it on purpose, like to me, because she knew how like tense I got about it. Not like a (sighs) malicious way, but in a like chill the fuck out. It's okay. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But I remember sitting in her waiting room, like, God damn it. Let me in. Like, Like, why, why are you doing this to me? Um, and so I think that's pretty funny now in retrospect, (laughs) that was pretty early on in the relationship, but I did totally think that she was intentionally being (laughs) late just to try and like poke that button, which I think is pretty funny. Um, but yeah, it's definitely just been a relationship that has, I guess, aged really well, right? Like you were talking about with your therapist, you know, my therapist has certainly opened up more over the time. I would say she was always... You know, probably not as far as I am, which I'll talk about later, but, you know, definitely to one side of middle of the self-disclosure scale as therapists go, which is probably one of the reasons she was a pretty good fit for me um, immediately was because I did get to know a little bit more about her um, kind of right away. And I think that's always been really important to me as a client is to feel a human relationship with my therapist. Like it is still the therapeutic relationship, but... I would not do well with 
I don't know, blank slate therapists, right? mm-hmm. <laughs> like the, the people who, you know, if you ask them literally anything about themselves, have the response of, well, why, why do you want to ask me that? Why is it important to you to know that? Like, what would you get from my answer? Right. Instead of ever <laughs> answering a fucking question about themselves, not my style uh, as a therapist or as a client. <laughs> so I really appreciated um, that about her. Um, definitely I have had times where I felt like the therapy was far more of a need, sort of echoing what you were saying, Michelle, um, to the point where I I had, I've had at least a couple of times over the 10 years where I was seeing her twice a week. Mm -hmm. I was really kind of in crisis mode. Um, and then there've been times like right now we're down every two weeks. Um, so, and it's definitely moved back and forth at different times. Um, I don't think I've ever been less than every two weeks when I was seeing her, but, um, everything from every two weeks to twice a week Mm -hmm. (laughs) has been, um, been, been something that we've, we've gone through and it's just been, (sighs) man, it's so weird. I've, I've definitely contacted her between sessions, not a lot of the time, but, um, especially around self-harm stuff for me and having that come up, I've definitely reached out to her during some of those times when urges were high for me and we've had a couple of like 15 minute phone call things which is something she'll do for free um if she has time between sessions and you're really in need um but yeah it's it's so funny i i'm trying i don't know i've been in a relationship with this person for 10 years and i absolutely adore her and i'm also having a hard time articulating like how the relationship works it's such a funny thing for me because I'm normally so verbose. Um, I do know I still feel a little bit or like surprisingly put out. I don't know if your therapist ever does this, Michelle, but like sometimes, um, like especially in telehealth, I think it happens more often. So that might be part of the problem. Um, you know, that we're seeing people distantly, but you know, sit down, be like, Hey, hi. And then, you know, she'll be like, Oh, I can see you're having a really hard day. Um, and if I'm not, I'm always like, oh, why don't you know that that's not true? Like, why are you, <laughs> why, why are you getting it wrong? <laughs> uh-huh. I can be a little bit sad uh, anytime there's like a mismatch in the mirroring, mm-hmm. I guess, from her, which is, you know, I, I do the same thing as a client. Um, well, as a client, sorry, as a therapist to my clients sometimes, right? We all misread signals and stuff sometimes, but I'm always a little bit like, if she mislabels how she thinks I'm doing, which is kind of funny. Um, What else? What was I thinking? Oh, and I don't know about you, Michelle, also, but as a therapist in therapy, something that is different now than it was before, because I started seeing my therapist before I was a therapist. Mm -hmm. Um, I was in grad school, so I knew that's where I was going. But between finishing school and taking time to get a job, I had seen her for, oh gosh, I don't know, probably three or maybe even four years before I started being an actual therapist myself. Um, And so something that has definitely changed for me during that transition is every now and then I'll be talking to her and I'll have this moment where I essentially switch seats, right? I imagine being her for Uh me. <clears throat> and I, I will occasionally just call it out. I'm like, oh man, I I can't, I just imagine how much of a pain in the ass it is for you to hear this right now or something like that, right? When I realize that I'm, I don't know, 
saying the same fucking thing I've been saying for months or even years that we've both we've talked this out it's been hashed through we both know all the things about it and I'm just not making the change right I'm just not doing the thing and so I do occasionally have these moments where I get a little bit like apologetic and embarrassed because I'm like oh man I have so been on the other side of this where you're listening to someone say something and you're like oh my god we have done this we have done this. Like, why won't you do the thing to help yourself be healthier? Right? Like, do the thing. And so I, I do. I don't know if that ever happens for you, but I definitely I, have moments. For me, like, I don't. I don't know if other therapists feel this way, but I feel very, almost like righteous about how when I am not meeting with my clients. Yeah. Like I take that hat off and yeah, so yeah. I've had it a couple times where Celia will say things to me like oh and then like because you know you know of course she's aware that I'm a therapist um and she'll be like oh yeah but then there's blah 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 and she'll kind of like talk shop with me a little bit yes and I do not like it because I'm just kind <laughs> of like I'm not in that role like I don't want to be thinking with my clinician hat on right now and you know so you know it's kind of this bonding thing a little bit that I think goes on where it's kind of like oh I know that you understand because we're in the same profession so we can relate on that level yeah and also I just when I am in that that client chair um I I mean, it's not that I've never had a moment like what you're describing where I could kind of be like, oh, I can see myself through a therapist lens and see what I'm doing. I just, I really make an effort to turn that off <laughs> entirely. And yeah, sometimes if so, like, this is my pet peeve, is when um, people who know that I'm a therapist will say like, well, what would you say to your own client if they were in your shoes? So he's done that once or twice. Uh -huh. Um and I've had other people do it, and I f fucking hate it. Like, I just <laughs> hate it because I'm just kind of like, but I don't want to think of myself <laughs> as being a therapist to myself. Like, no, I don't want to do it. So I feel, I think, some resistance to how <laughs> the roles can overlap. Um, yeah, I, like I just it. like to keep it totally separate where it's just kind of like, I am in no way wearing my therapist hat when I am... In my it's own therapy. Funny, I hadn't thought about that, but I do. She does that too sometimes with me. Like, think about this person in your life. Like, and if what if you, you know, if they put on your therapist hat for a second, what would, what do you see from this person? And I'm like, I don't fucking know. I don't wear that <laughs> yeah. in this relationship. I can't just They're, make that switch at the drop of a hat. Right? I mean, sometimes I, I can, know. but I don't like to. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's funny. I do, I don't mind. I don't know what the right word is. Like, I just mostly get entertained in those moments where I like think of being her. Like yeah. being my own therapist, but yeah, I do get actually now that you pointed out, I do get kind of frustrated with the, like think about your I don't know partner, parent, sibling, friend, whatever, mm -hmm. like as though you were a therapist. I'm like, but no, but no, that feels icky. It feels weird. It's not right. You're yeah. the therapist right now. I'm mm -hmm. not. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep, I've turned that part of my brain off. It is gone. I'm just a human being, not a therapist, <laughs> sitting here right now. <laughs> So that's definitely a thing. Um, but yeah, it's, I don't know. I like you were talking about that sense of comfort 
Like, even on the weeks where we don't, quote-unquote, do anything, right? Like, the slow periods, like you were talking about, which sometimes will go weeks. Oh, yeah. Especially since I'm only doing every other week. Like, it'll be months, maybe, even, and it's Mm -hmm. fine. Um, But just having that consistency, having that person who I know I can go to, who will always think well of me, and always be supportive of me, and always be looking out only for me. It's just a real comforting presence. Mm. Though I still certainly get occasionally curious. I think my worst one is when she says she's going, she's taking time off. Mm-hmm. Like if she's ever taking time off, I, I, I know. Oh, so this is funny. I fish, like not quite blatantly, but I'm always like, have fun doing whatever you're going to be doing. And I always hope that she's going to tell me <laughs> what, what are you doing? Why are you taking time off? <laughs> Yeah. See, that curiosity is totally normal. Right. <laughs> Where are you going? Are you taking yeah. a vacation? Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Why? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't have much curiosity. Like, otherwise, but anytime, anytime she takes time off, there's a little part of my head being like, where are you going? Mm-hmm. What are you doing? What for? <laughs> it's like, shut up, Kate. <laughs> <laughs> Because she has told me on occasion. So if she wanted to tell me, she would have told me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, eh, you're fine. Um, So, yeah, I think that's that's mostly it. I think it's just been a real, I don't know. Like, she's, we're very similar in age, but there still is almost a sense of, like, her being a little bit motherly in a sense, right? Just this warm, accepting, sort of the idyllic idea, right, Mm -hmm. of to an extent of what a mom could be. Yeah. yeah, it's just been real healing in that regard. Yeah. Nice. She's also, she's going to creep up now that I've, uh, you know, since I've divorced from my first husband, from Chris, I think she will take over as my longest term relationship here. I don't, oh, wow. I don't anticipate us stopping working together too soon. And we're already at 10 years and Chris and I made it 14. I so believe like, that my besides... therapist and I will become my longest term relationship. So, like, besides, right, like, your familial relationships, oh, sure. like, yeah, yeah, your yeah, siblings yeah, yeah. and yeah. parents and all of that. Oh, yeah. that's really interesting to think about. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like I've known this person longer than I've known any of my current friends or longer than I, for you, like, longer than you've known your current husband. And, like, wow. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's interesting. I guess I have a couple. I have older. I have a couple of older friends. But, mm-hmm. yeah, she's, I don't know. She's creeping up there. Yeah, yeah, that's an important role. All right, what about you as a therapist? Oh, all right, I didn't want to interrupt you to make fun of it, but I did think it's funny when you said something about the uh, when I'm in the client's chair and I'm like, Michelle, the client's couch, it's the name of the fucking podcast, the client's couch. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, when I'm on the couch, yes, right? When you're on the couch, not the chair, you're gonna confuse everybody. So now that oh, you're in furniture. the chair, Michelle, in the chair. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So switching gears to being a therapist and what this is like to have relationships with our clients. There's so much to say about this. There's so much. This one, I was like, oh, man, this is not going to be Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot to say. Um, I think I want to start with actually what you were just saying, Kate of how you with Nicole, like you can feel almost this motherly type of relationship with her, mm-hmm. even though she is not old enough to actually be your mother. No. Um, I think she's less than five years older than me. Yeah. Um, and yet I think 
that sort of an idea can fit really well with how it can feel as a therapist towards our clients. Um, not that I literally feel like my client's mother. I, I want to have a <laughs> distinction be there. I do not feel that way. And yet, if you think about some things that go into like a parental relationship with a child, a healthy parental relationship with a child, there is this unconditional love where like you love your child on their best day or their worst day. Like you just love them. Like you see the inherent goodness and just who they are as a person and you love them no matter how they show up or you know, what they've done. Even when you're really upset with what they've done, you still love them. <laughs> um, and also this desire that I think can come in too of like, as a parent, you want to keep your child safe. Like you want them to fly, like you want them to leave the nest and grow up and be independent. And you also want them to stay safe. And that there may be, you know, Kate and I, I I believe we've acknowledged that we do not have children. Um, yes. So we're just speaking really generally here, um, not from personal experience. And at the same time, like, I think there are sometimes these stages, like, especially during adolescence, where it's just kind of like, okay, like, you know, I want to let my child go be with their friends and go have fun. And also, like, or like, they need to learn to drive. And I want them to learn to drive. And like, oh, my God, <laughs> this is scary. Like, I don't want them to get in a car accident. Like, I don't want anything bad to happen. So there's that thing as a parent. Push pull a little bit. Yeah, where it's like, I want them to fly, and I also want them to be safe. And how do both those things happen? Because sometimes <laughs> when you fly, you fall. And, you know, things don't always wind up being great. There's risk involved with that. And... Basically, both of those components, like the unconditional love piece and the piece about, like, I want this person to, like, stay safe while also flying are things that are super present for me with my clients. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't know. I love my clients. <laughs> like, I, I really do. Which mm -hmm. I think would have been very, very, very taboo, terrible thing to say probably 20 to 30 years ago in this field of like therapists aren't supposed to feel things towards their clients. I love my clients across the board. And yeah. I, I believe that they, that they know that and they feel that and that of, like you need that almost as a prerequisite for therapy to be effective is for the client to, like, to feel like and loved any by you. feelings you have towards the client as only transference or counter transference mm -hmm. and only being this weird kind of clinical issue. Yeah. Right? That's a like, problem. Oh, you, you love your client. We really need to look into what that means and what uh -huh. you're getting out of it. And why <laughs> right? I feel like that was, that's still what I was taught. Yeah. In a lot of ways. Yeah. Like, and not we even weren't in 20 school. years ago. <laughs> right. And that's what I was about to say. We weren't in school all that long ago. So that's still something that I think persists to some degree or another in the field of like, you're not supposed to feel things towards your clients. Um, and yet I would classify the love that I am describing as kind of being this sort of maternal type of love. That's the closest kind of thing I can compare it to where it's like, I want my clients 
to feel totally comfortable sharing with me when they did something they feel ashamed about, mm-hmm. when they're having a hard day, and that they know that they can bring that to me and I'm not going to make them feel worse about it. I'm going to, not literally, physically, but emotionally, I'm going to hold them and help like pick them back up and encourage them. And again, this is what ha- this is what happens in a healthy parent-child relationship that they can feel that. And also, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, um yes, sometimes we think about clients outside of sessions. I've realized oh, especially with COVID and uh, for months having pretty much very little contact with my friends or family, I was like the only people I'm really having contact with are my clients. That was a strange thing to realize. Yeah. (laughs) But I was like, uh, my husband, you know, of course, my mother-in-law who lives with us. I was like, and my clients. Interesting. And that's about, that's about it. You know, a a couple friends here and there, including you, Kate, but um, podcasting, (laughs) but yeah, like I'm not really seeing anyone else. And even then there were times in the pandemic where I was seeing people in person, like with masks, but like the only people I would physically be around would be husband, mother-in-law clients. That's it. And so that also was really interesting for me to just kind of acknowledge that and I've acknowledged that at times before internally to myself where I'm like there are certain clients that I see more than I see my friends oh, yeah. you know because I see this person every week for an hour there are yeah. many of my friendships where I don't see them every week for an hour so like I know this person better than I know some of my friends like of course mm-hmm. I feel a closeness with them and I have many clients who are fairly similar in age to me Where, like, if we had met under different circumstances, 100% we would have been friends. Oh, right. Yeah. We would just get along. (laughs) We do get along. There's a little bit of sadness every time that happens, especially when they're in, like, context where you could have met them. Uh Uh-huh. Otherwise, you're always like, oh, there goes a potential friend. Yeah. Oh, well. (laughs) We do get to be friends. Not, like, the whole of it. I move past it pretty quickly. But there is that moment of realization of just, oh, fuck, God, we'd have been good friends. Yeah. Yes, I definitely have that with some of my clients. And um, I guess kind of going back to that piece about um, thinking about clients occasionally outside of session, you know, just wondering, like, how's this person doing today? Or I don't know, I'll hear a song on the radio and I'm like, ooh, that client could really benefit from like hearing that song or something. Um, You know, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, especially for me, if I have clients who are not in a good spot with their mental health. You know, they are having thoughts of suicide or they're just in a really precarious spot. I mean, I've had clients, especially when I worked at community mental health, I mean, they'd leave the office sometimes and it's like they didn't know where they were going to sleep that night. Yep. You know, or like their lives were just falling apart and you worry. Like you worry about those clients because you care And yet, also that reminder, again, kind of like when you're a parent with a teenage child of like, and I also have to let them fly. Like, I have to let them figure it out. It's not my job to figure all this out for them. Um, But that's always a really tricky thing to navigate of like, especially as therapists, like we have this ethical obligation 
to make sure that our clients stay safe, like when it comes to suicidality and things like that. Like this is part of our profession sometimes is that we have to take steps to like have our clients be hospitalized if needed or like it, it can go pretty extreme of like I have to keep you safe and excuse me and that's like a tricky thing sometimes where it's like I want to respect your autonomy as a person and also as a professional I have this duty and it, it just can get tricky I think somewhat similarly to how it can get tricky for a parent when you're like, I want this person, you know, my child, I want them to be able to grow up and I want to trust them and just let them do their own thing and live their lives. And that's really scary. <laughs> and when do I intervene? And when do I put my foot down to make sure they stay safe? Um, it's, it's something that we navigate as therapists with our clients too, and that that can be challenging. So I don't know, that's like the first and biggest thing that comes up for me is that um, I I have, I would classify it as like maternal feelings at times towards my clients um, with sense. just having that unconditional love for them and wanting them to fly and stay safe too. <laughs> yes. Michelle, I like that you talk about being maternal because one of the things that I had in my notes for this segment was that I view my role as a therapist, um, in part, not entirely, but kind of as a form of reparenting, yeah. right? It's not a hundred percent across the board, but a huge proportion of the clients that I see have some degree of fraught relationship with parents, right? That there was somewhere between just, mm, sure, your parents were good enough, but that doesn't mean you're not carrying any wounds from it mm -hmm. to out and out abject abuse right yeah. like and anywhere along that sort of spectrum and so I do think that a lot of what I am supposed to do or that I want to do and provide for those clients is the kind of support that they didn't get from parents right like you talk about how you feel parental towards them and I think <laughs> that I am not like literally am mm -hmm. a parent right but like that that's my my job is to be a place where they can form, you know, like, I think you're going to talk about this a little bit more with um, attachment theory, but where they can form a secure attachment, right, to me before branching out. And um, one of the things that I think that allows for, I am kind of renowned for being a therapist that call people out on their shit. Like I was talking about needing that for myself. I also am that as a therapist. And I think that having being that warm, safe kind of parental figure and a place where clients know they can get that unconditional love, that unconditional positive regard, right? Both makes it a place where they can bring stuff that they feel embarrassed about or ashamed about, maybe even, I mean, including up to and including things that they did that were legitimately wrong, right? Like actual bad shit um, and still know that they're going to be seen and as you said metaphorically held um and and loved and I, so a they can bring that stuff to you and i think the other thing that it allows if if done really well is that you can say and well with me it might not be or it might be literally this but you can tell someone that they fucked up right? mm -hmm. you'd be like oh yeah that thing that you did in that fight with your partner was not good 
that was that was not good, right? Like you can you can call them out on stuff and not have them feel attacked, not have them feel ashamed, not have them feel yeah. that there's any breach in the relationship just because you're acknowledging that they're, you know, human and fuck up just like everybody does, right? Mm-hmm. That you can be like, oh, that thing, no bad, that's bad, don't do that, <laughs> right? Because if we think about it through that lens of parenting, that is part of parenting. <laughs> exactly you'd be like oh i know you're mad at that other person but you're kind of in the wrong here mm-hmm. <laughs> like, actually mm, hate to say it but true right and so i do think you know you have to, it's so important to build that rapport mm-hmm. right and i know everybody has different ways of doing that um i think this might have already come up a little bit somewhere Maybe not. I get confused sometimes, especially with, I don't know. I don't know about you, Michelle, but I feel like since uh, quarantine, I have a harder time remembering what I have or have not said to anybody or about anything. (laughs) I do feel like my brain has turned into more of a sieve um, than it used to be. But um, I definitely hang out really at a far end of the self-disclosure scale. Um, such as therapists go, right? I, I, I do a lot of self-disclosure with clients as a part of my rapport building. Um, it's to a purpose, right? I share a lot about my own mental health struggles um, in large part so that clients, it, it really helps someone know that you're not judging them if they know that you have done the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Like I've often seen like a, a, a literal physical relaxation from clients who self-harm when I talk about my own self-harm history. They're like, oh, this person isn't going to think I'm, you know, just knucking futz, stupid, crazy, um, whatever. Right? They're not, they're not judging me for this because they've been there. Right? Yeah. So a lot of my self-disclosure is to try and build that kind of rapport. Um, and then, I don't know, for me, I do try and use a more conversational mode at times with people for a few different things. Like one, if we've been heavy into some trauma work in the session, like I will do some chit chat and shit at the end just to help them release the trauma work, kind of come back to a more normal mode of behavior, you know, feeling and, you know, sort of recentering in a way. Um, I always try and get people to laugh. (laughs) <laughs> if I can get them, if I get them smiling and laughing again, I feel like it's okay to, you know, end the session and let them go. I'm not, you know, keeping them in a hard place and then releasing them into the wild without yeah. any coming back. So, I mean, there's, there's definitely a purpose to it, but I do know that, yeah, especially from my schooling, boy, howdy would I have gotten in trouble for if people heard the transcripts of my sessions when I was still in grad school, if I'd been the person that I am now, um, but I, I have found that it works for me and works for my clients. You know, not, it's not the case for everybody. I think we've even talked to people who don't want to know that much about their therapist. Mm-hmm. Right. So I, I do think it's important. Man, maybe neither one of us have talked about this yet. Uh, you know, this whole podcast in large part is about us being people, too. Um, and part of that is that there's never a guarantee that any two people are going to like each other or get along. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we're all different as therapists because we're different people. Mm -hmm. So I will say that, you know, I try, you know, I'm a pretty nice, good, accepting, happy, loving kind of person. And I've definitely had people who came in for consultations or things like that. And I've had to refer out because I'm just like, Oh, I just 
don't like you. It turns out, right? Like I, we're not a good fit. We're not a good fit, right? And you don't, you would not benefit from me because I could not be that, right? That loving presence, mm-hmm. right? You, something about you rubs me the wrong way, and I could not provide to you that sort of reparenting, secure attachment kind of place, right? And I know that people have come in with consultations with me and been like, "Whoa, this woman is loud and swears and." T- <laughs> like, <laughs> She does not fit the idea of a therapist that I had in my head. Kind of thing, yeah. (laughs) Right. So I, I, I hope we we push for this a lot in different episodes. But please, if you do not feel a good connection with your therapist after a session or four, like do be willing to go elsewhere (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) because you're a person and they're a person, and maybe you're just not the right two people for each other in those roles, and that's okay. That's not a bad thing about either one of you. Yeah, it's just two humans in a space. Shit happens. Um, Um, There's a few things that came up for me while you were talking about that. One is like with that idea of reparenting and with what you were kind of just saying at the end about how, you know, of course you have agency to go and find another therapist if it's not working for you, right? We can't change who our parents are. Like (laughs) we are stuck (laughs) with the family that we are born into for better or for worse. Like it's, you know, that, that person is your mother. That person is your father. Like, you know. Um, born into or whoever raised you. you know, or whoever or raised you. Yep. Yeah. And so I think that also can be really empowering when it's like, when it comes to sort of healing some of those wounds is to be able mm-hmm. to say, this this person isn't working for me and I can go find another relationship where I might be able to find that sort of healing that there's something really empowering about that. Um, The second thing was with the self-disclosure, like for me, uh, my dad's maybe been a little more self-disclosing than my mom. But I remember, especially at times as a teenager, like wanting to feel like my parents got it. If that makes sense. Oh, yeah. Like I certainly think there need to be lines and barriers and a lot of this is going to be age dependent as a parent about when you disclose certain things to your children about things you have done (laughs) or mistakes you have made and that kind of a thing. But I remember as a kid just kind of wanting to know that like my parents have made mistakes too. And I didn't really get that a lot of the time. And so I really can't imagine it being, you know, from this like therapist client perspective that when you do disclose that to people, it's like, oh, okay, I'm not going to be judged as, just basically as you said, like, I'm not going to be just as, judged as harshly by this person because they have been in this boat. Mm-hmm. And that there's something that can be really healing about that, that again, I remember kind of wanting a little bit when I was younger from my parents of like, I don't, you know, like I drank alcohol before I was 21 and did either of my parents do that? I'm pretty confident my mom didn't, <laughs> but like, would it have been helpful if she had been like, yep, I was drunk at a party once too at 18 years old and had to have my parents come pick me up. Like, oh, that, oh, okay. So you're not going to judge me so harshly, but instead I, no, I would feel I realized judged. realized that even though I already had been seeing her for years and had a wonderful, interesting relationship, I remember when my therapist first disclosed to me that she had a parent and one of her parents was very much like my mother, right? Mm. Like they had a lot of similar things. So she had experienced a lot of the same stuff in her relationship with her parent as I had in my relationship with my mom. And I do remember being like, oh, 
Yeah. Right? Like, like you're not understanding from a clinical standpoint. <laughs> you're yeah, understanding really from a personal this. standpoint. Mm-hmm. And that made a big if, in, uh, difference for me as the client. Mm-hmm. just knowing that. So it's part of why I think I've tried to proffer that as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, it, I think it can be really healing, especially when it's something that people can feel a lot of shame about or feel really mm-hmm. alone about. Like nobody else gets this thing about me. If their therapist can be like, actually I do. Like <laughs> I, I think, I think that can just be very helpful and healing, like kind of through that reparenting sort of a lens Mm -hmm. too if nothing else um yeah you had mentioned a little bit while you were talking about yeah just like attachment stuff and i i did want to say a little bit about this because there's actually been a lot of research that has come out over the last few years about how it can be healthy for clients to form basically exactly as you were describing kate like kind of this um reparenting type of attachment with their therapist which again i think years ago i mean right and then we have like freud and people from like ages and ages ago that would cross all sorts of like ethical barriers and and things (laughs) like that (laughs) um and it, and it doesn't mean, right, being your client's parent. It does not, or literally acting like that. It does not mean that at all. But just kind of there's been a lot of research done that shows that if a client can form a secure attachment with their therapist, that that alone is, one, very healing, and two, helps them form secure attachments with other people. Yeah. Because I yeah. think about this sometimes with... Um, like you're talking about, it's, it's a range, right? We can get clients that overall had pretty healthy, good upbringings, good relationships with their parents, and then clients who, oh my gosh, it swings so far the other way, I don't even know where to start. But for some people, just having somebody show up for them at the same time every week, where they don't have reliable. to... Yeah, where they don't have to worry about like, you know... Am I going to show up to a session and Michelle's not not going to be there or something? That alone for some people can be hugely healing because they may have never had that as a child where it's like, I don't know if my dad's going to show up to my basketball game. Like, you know, said he'd be here. I don't know. Like if they have those types of relationships with people in their life where they can't count on them, being able to count on your therapist is huge. Um and to be able to have this trust can then be very healing and um, really can hopefully help that client then be able to find other people as they move through life where they can also develop new, healthier relationships where it can be more trusting with more reliable people because they've gotten a taste of that with their therapist and they may have never tasted it before in their whole entire lives which i think and this kind of ties in towards some of what was kind of mentioned in that the email that we originally got to spur spur this topic inspire we'll go with inspire (laughs) inspire this topic um is i i I, i'm totally open to hearing if you disagree with me on this michelle but I I think that especially for people who really, 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 really didn't have that kind of attachment with their parental figures, that 
on the way to this more sort of secure attachment place, they can pass through a more anxious attachment place. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I think that it's pretty, it also can be pretty normal and natural, not that to say that everybody goes through this, because again, everyone has a range of what their prior experiences were before therapy. Um, but where they, you know, may go from super untrusting and then the next phase is this craving, right? This just, I can't imagine my life without this person. I wish this person literally were my mother or father. Like a, like a right. total I, dependence. Yeah, I want them to be my best friend. I have fantasies that we are best friends, mm-hmm. right? Like this, just hunger um, because of the lack of that beforehand. Um, certainly everybody is their own human and anybody can get weird. You know, there can be like actual unhealthy obsessions and other things that can go on. Not trying to lump everything into anything. Yeah, there's a range. Hyperbole is bad. Um, (laughs) but I think it certainly can be a very normal and natural process to go through before you reach that, oh, actually... I've now had enough of this reinforcement from my therapist that I feel able to be independent from them. Mm -hmm. Right. Like you, you can, I think you can move through this area of super dependence on your way to, Oh, actually I'm now convinced I'm a good enough person. that I'm now convinced that I'm healthy, Mm -hmm. safe, whatever. And so I feel like I can step away from this relationship a little bit. And I know that they're there when I need them. I think that's the biggest thing is that when people come into therapy and they have this um, anxious attachment style already formed because of stuff from their childhood or past relationships. So the long and short of what an anxious attachment style is, is that sometimes you want periods of yeah intense closeness with someone and you have a really hard time trusting them. So i.e. like if you text a romantic partner and an hour passes and they haven't texted you back, you may be tempted to be like, now I have to call them. Like now I have to figure out like where they are, what they're doing and why they're not getting back to me. If you think <laughs> of stereotypical kind of clingy behavior. Yes. Right. It stereotypically and... kind of looks that way. And yeah. yes, that can absolutely, you're right. I mean, that can totally show up in the therapeutic relationship because it's like, I want to know that I can really count on this person. So this <laughs> may look like a client who is reaching out maybe more in between sessions because they're wanting to know, hey, if I really need you, are you going to be there for me? Sort of a thing. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to psychoanalyze you, Kate. Um, But I also almost wonder if for you with Nicole at the beginning, when she would be a couple minutes late, if that's almost why it would like grind your gears a little bit oh, was like, probably. I mean, it like I, mean I had a lot piece, of traumas but... about people, about yeah. people, lol, about my mother, um, mm-hmm. literally abandoning me places and not, and being hours and hours and hours and hours late, oh. uh, picking me up from things. Um, and so, yeah, no, absolutely. It's why I became an obsessively punctual person myself is because I couldn't tolerate that at uh-huh. all. And so I could not be that person. And yeah. then, yeah, no, it's absolutely why it, yeah, I like how you put ground my gears <laughs> anytime she was late because it's super poked that attachment thing for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yep. And yeah, I mean, I just think it's something too where like because of kind of this conversation we're having here of like different clients come into therapy with different histories and different pasts and different traumas and all of that. 
there are clients who come into therapy who who need their therapist more than more than other clients do. I have a number of clients on my caseload who are close with their family, have a number of friends, mm-hmm. all of that. You know, I am one person in their web of social interactions and social supports that they have. And then there are other clients where I'm about it. Like I'm yep. kind of the only one. And so again, this is something too where historically in the field of therapy it would be like your clients are not supposed to need you (laughs) like that's a bad thing if they need you and I view it as a very normal thing when I have clients who have very few people they can count on Mm -hmm. who maybe have a lot of family trauma that they are going to lean on me a little bit more that those may be the clients who reach out to me in between sessions from time to time because they don't have anybody else to call and that certainly can be one of the goals of therapy um, is to try to help them find other people and also I even struggle with saying that out loud because I think it's a great goal and that also is not an easy thing that just happens overnight I mean I do see it with clients where um you know, they will eventually say, make a friend who they get kind of close with, or they'll have a romantic partner down the line who's a really healthy person for them. Or like, it happens, (laughs) but that takes years sometimes, especially when they have a significant trauma history. It's not easy to just go out and make friends at the drop of a hat. No. It's just not. Even for, you know, people without a trauma history, making friends in adulthood is really, really hard. (laughs) And so while that's a great goal to have it be that, you know, clients eventually develop more friendships and find more people, I try to be really understanding of those clients that I have who that's just not where they're at currently. And that thank goodness they have at least me as someone that they can lean on or someone that they can talk to if if they need it because because they don't have anyone else sometimes which is really Mm -hmm. which is really sad to see i think it sort of i don't know to me this came up when you were talking about that is you know people have or don't have support or communities or other things and I thought that it was probably important as a part of this episode to mention, um, for me, what it's like being in the same communities as many of my clients. Ooh, yeah, good point. Um, so I specifically, I mean, certainly not everyone, but the vast majority of people in on my caseload fall into one or more of the categories of being in the LGBT uh, community, in the kink community, or in the polyamory community. Um, so those are, those are most of the people I serve are in one or more of those, uh, groups. And so am I, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, to a more or lesser extent at different times, uh, in the course of my work, but it was super important to discuss what that meant for the relationship with my clients. Um, so, you know, some of them are, are a lot of benefits, um, similar to my talking about my mental health stuff and people knowing that I've, I've been there and that being a big relief um, since I've been a part of the kink community, you know, clients can come in and be like, 
you know, oh, I'm in a DS, you know, relationship with, you know, this partner and then, you know, a daddy little, right, whatever, right? They can come in and use the terms and the terminology and talk about things. And I can understand what they're talking about and ask intelligent questions and not pathologize non-pathological things, right? And it, and it can create a really nice safe space where they, yeah, don't have to explain themselves. They don't feel judged for these things like they might by you know, people who weren't a part of those communities. And, and there's a lot of really lovely benefits. Um, on the other side of it, uh, well, first of all, kink, if you're out and about and participating in community events, that can look like things like, all right, <clears throat> let's have a conversation about if you go to something and see your therapist naked or see your therapist, you know, doing a scene uh, or, you know, things like that. And so you're you far know. more likely to run into each other in public and maybe yeah. in situations that might feel uncomfortable, like with the yeah, specific there's, community there's you're talking about. Your therapist getting off a bus. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Oh, I see my therapist at the grocery store versus I see my therapist at this, yeah, this Kinky party Kinky. where we're all in various yeah. states of being unclothed. Like, yes, very exactly. different. Yeah. Very different. Uh, so <laughs> there's. You know, it's sort of the same talk that you were talking about earlier as the standard, right, of, you know, I won't approach you, blah, 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 blah. Like, just turned to 11. Yeah. <laughs> right? We really like, both need to be prepared that this is a real possibility for this evening and this is how we're going to address it to feel like there's yeah. a game plan. and Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like, so, so for, yeah, for big events like the Pride Parade, right, I tell all of my clients almost like, hey, if you go to the Pride Parade, you might see me naked because I tend to get naked and dancing around in the fountain. And I'm mostly <laughs> naked for most of the parade anyway. So, like... FYI. <laughs> uh -huh. Also, I won't approach you. It's okay. You know, other people could have different boundaries, but like, especially for things like pride, where it's not actually anything going on. It's just a big celebration. Like, you know, I won't acknowledge you, but you can come up to me if you want to. Even if you come up to me, I won't tell people how I know you unless you say it first. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, really respecting each other's, you know, the privacy and stuff like that. So it is, it is a, a definite push pull. Um, uh, oh, gosh time is funny isn't it last year maybe maybe the year before not sure 2020 is a bit of a blur um I was definitely seeing someone in when I was still seeing people in person so I had to be at least a full year ago um was uh there was a big scandal ish thing that kind of rocked the kink community someone who had been a pretty prominent member um got arrested um for child pornography and um uh, child molestation um, and so, like, horrible. And also, it meant that for the next few days, I, you know, when my clients came in, it was like, oh, my God, did you hear? I can say, like, yes. Mm -hmm. Right. And let, let's talk about how, like, what emotions might come up for you. Because you knew that person personally. Because they were a friend. Because, right? Like, it, it's, it's nice to be able to be tuned in. Um, but it presents a lot of the same challenges as, like, being a therapist in a small town. Right? <laughs> in yeah. a rural place. Like, harder to avoid um, dual relationships, harder to avoid being seen at public events, harder to avoid, right? So you do have to be really clear about boundaries and talk ahead of time about what would or would not make people uncomfortable and be willing to have discussions afterwards if stuff made people uncomfortable. And it does just, it adds a lot on both sides, I guess I would mm -hmm. say, um, of the equation in the benefits and complications. <laughs> Teeter-totter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, but I also really like that you 
can can speak to that. I think also for therapists who are listening, who may be like, oh, yeah, that's me, you know, because a lot of times the certain clients that we're attracted to or the certain clients that we want to work with that we want to specialize in, we want to specialize in that because we get it. Like, you know, Oh, nothing like being matched with a client in a dating app, by the way, that's happened to me. Gosh. (laughs) Like, obviously you don't like each other, but you're just, you know, swiping or whatever. Uh You're like, no, well, if I see them, they might see me. Good to know. Cool. (laughs) Moving on. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But yeah, it is. It's complicated when you very much run in the same circles and, how you acknowledge like the small town thing like yeah (laughs) benefits and complications for sure from from that so yes yeah um I guess kind of the final thing that we wanted to talk about today because this was addressed in the email that we received uh basically it's our impression when this listener reached out with this email is that the reason why they suggested this as a topic for us was because um they perhaps maybe had some concerns themselves about um, is my attachment to my therapist an unhealthy attachment, you know, because I feel um, I can't remember if their therapist was male or female identified, but, um, you know, because I really want to, you know, I, yeah, I feel dependent on our sessions and all of this, like, where does it cross over into unhealthy in terms of how close I feel to my therapist. And so we wanted to take some time to talk about that too. And also um, just talking about how if there are maybe a couple big things that might be present in your sessions with your therapist or within that therapeutic relationship, that these are kind of red flags, you could say, to like keep an eye out for. So we wanted to address that side of things a little bit. I think up until this point, we've really talked a lot about like, you know, there can, of course, be a range here, but there's lots of things that are within the range of healthy and normal, even if people don't talk about them very much, you know, Mm -hmm. it's normal to be like, oh, I, you know, have wondered things about my therapist's personal life, or it's normal from the therapist then to be like, I have love for my clients, like I care about my clients. (laughs) These are all normal things, but we did want to touch a little bit on like, this is where, you know, things might be crossing over into a realm where we might want to dial things back a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know, Kate, do you feel comfortable talking a little bit about like some red flags of like, hey, if this is going on with your therapist. Uh. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So one of the first one that came to mind and I like because Michelle earlier you mentioned about sort of the opposite side of this, that you and I really love it when a client comes to us with some sort of problem, right? That we hurt them, we pissed them off, we broke mm-hmm. their trust, we, right, some sort of rupture to the to the relationship and that that I feel really, really trusted whenever anybody brings that to me. And so, like, the first thing I do is thank them profusely before moving on to other things. And I would say that my number one red flag uh, is if your therapist is sort of the opposite of that. If your therapist can't tolerate hearing that they fucked up, right, that they hurt your feelings, that they made you uncomfortable, that they pissed you off, that they whatever, right, if they can't hear that, if they can't take ownership for their stuff, if they can't, you know, heal that, then I would say that's a huge red flag, right? That to me says that they're 
ego is involved in a kind of weird way. Um, and or I don't know. I'm not even not to think about it. I was like, what else does it even mean about them? I just to me, I think that's a real hard place to be safe. Right. Yeah. Like it's hard to be safe in a place where all of you can't show up. And to me, you know, a whole person is a whole person. <laughs> I mean, sometimes, you know, there are feelings that might be uncomfortable and it's so important to be able to hold those even when they're about you as a therapist, as well as you can hold them when they're not about you. Mm -hmm. Right. And so if you can't tolerate having that anger or disappointment or hurt feelings kind of pointed as you as a therapist, I think that's a big red flag. Um, if that makes sense as a way of putting it. Um, and then the other thing that I would think about, which is funny because I, I do talk a lot <laughs> about myself in sessions, but is if they talk more about themselves than they do about you, right? If the therapist is just talking and talking and they're talking about their own lives and they're talking about their own experiences and they're not really doing it to serve you and they're not bringing it back around to you or they're not right. Like if it almost feels like it's the therapist's therapy session <laughs> then or a coffee date, right? Then those would be the things that I would say, yeah, are my two biggest red flags. How about you, Michelle? Yeah. I just thought of um, a red flag which is that if backtracking a little bit to what we were saying earlier about how it's really important to feel like you can count on your therapist. Oh yeah. If you feel like you can't count on your therapist, that's a red flag. So I had a client who she was seeing a different therapist for couples counseling. Um, but basically the long and short of it is that this therapist was canceling very frequently, often very last minute with mm. sessions. And um, I mean, right, this is an important reminder. We as therapists are people, we have lives, things come up, um, you know, where sometimes we do have to cancel and reschedule sessions. However, how this is done is really important. And how do you feel as a client when your therapist cancels on you mm -hmm. and if you're left feeling confused kind of abandoned um and if it just does not feel like it is clear communication then this is a concern and this is what ultimately wound up happening for my client um is that she was just kind of like i don't even feel like i can look forward or prepare for our sessions because she's canceled the last three times on me oh yeah like you know so i really can't trust that we're even going to have a session in the first place um that's that's a big concern so um I, yeah, I, I would say that that's a red flag too, is if you just feel like you can't count on your therapist. Or let's say that you, you know, your therapist has told you, hey, I have a policy that if my clients call me, I call them back within 24 hours. Again, different therapists have different boundaries around this. Yeah. Um, but if let's say that's what your therapist has told you, if you call me, I will get back to you within 24 hours and you call them and then three days pass and they haven't gotten back to you, yeah. you know, and then they don't give any kind of explanation later about it to explain, oh, the, hey, that was a fluke or, uh, you know, I had something personal come up. I'm really sorry. Kind of a thing. 
um, you're not going to be able to count on this person. And it's really important that you can count on your therapist. <laughs> For building that foundation. And that, yeah. yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, I like how you pointed out the communication thing because I get um, migraines and I have a lower back injury that occasionally goes out. And so with new clients, even I tell them, I'm like, hey, if we work together long enough, chances are I'm going to have to cancel on you last minute at some point. Mm -hmm. (laughs) you're upfront about it yeah because I get my these are the two things it will be one of these two things almost certainly (laughs) but on occasion I wake up in a morning with a migraine and I just have to cancel everyone for that day with like basically no notice um and so yeah I I think you know I I can't I mean good lord if I could I would I can't just not have migraines anymore (laughs) yeah and I can't predict when they're gonna come but at least I let people know like hey this is a health condition I have you could go years maybe, but you know, if we work together long enough, statistically speaking, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm probably going to end up having to cancel on you at some point. Um, and so I think that that helps set people up to know like, Hey, this is not about me um, or about this relationship. It's just, this happens sometimes, but yeah, it's, it's, you're right. If people aren't communicating openly or it's just repeatedly like yeah. week after week, it feels a lot different. Yeah, definitely. Um, And kind of on the flip side of that, so if you're a client and you're wondering like, ooh, you know, do I have an unhealthy attachment to my therapist? I don't know. Kate, tell me me your thoughts on this, but I, I think it's pretty clear today with what we've talked about in this episode. Again, there's a wide range of things that are considered relatively normal and healthy. Um, in terms of what attachment can look like to a therapist and all of that. But um, I guess kind of, I mean, right, there's some pretty black and white things of like, if you are looking up your therapist online or trying to find out information about them, don't add your therapist as a Facebook friend. Uh, don't try to find, I mean, I don't know why I'm thinking this way, but like extreme things, like don't try to find out where your therapist lives. Like don't Don't stalk your therapist. Don't stalk your therapist. Um, right. That's pretty black and white. But, um, even outside of that, I think just something to maybe tune into for yourself and to talk about with your therapist, if you're noticing this is if you find that you're having a hard time respecting your therapist's boundaries. And what I mean by that is that most therapists, this is going to vary. So that's important to be upfront about. From therapist to therapist, each person is going to have different boundaries in terms of when they are available or not available to their clients for support. Um, So like for me, my clients know that I'm not available for support on the weekends. If they call me on the weekends, I'm going to call them back on Monday. This is something I tell people in my initial paperwork and I verbally say it too. So this is something my clients are aware of. Mm -hmm. And there's a difference between um, I am really in a crisis. I truly need my therapist and I'm going to contact them Um, there is a difference between that versus I just kind of miss them. And I want to see if I reach out to them, if they'll respond back to me. Those are, those are different things. And most therapists also have a plan in place that if you are truly in a crisis, 
and you're reaching out to them outside of their available hours to you, they have some kind of a plan of then what do you do? Like in my voicemail, I list a 24-hour crisis line number. So my clients know, hey, if you're calling me, you know, 8 o'clock on a Saturday night, I'm not going to answer, but there is this other resource available to you if you genuinely are in crisis. Um, But this would just be things where you're finding it very difficult to respect your therapist's boundaries because you're wanting to have more contact with them or to be closer to them. So if they... um, have said, you know, I only meet with people once a week. I don't have more availability to meet with you than that, which would I say would maybe be a pretty typical thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you find that this makes you feel really upset and angry at them and you then decide to, I don't know, call them a couple days in a row (laughs) just because you're like, I just want to make sure I can talk to them. I just want to know that they're here for me kind of a thing. Um, this would be something to really explore with your therapist and to talk about in terms of what is driving this for you. What is the experience that you're wanting to have with your therapist? What would you need from that therapist to reassure you? Um, and how you can navigate it if your therapist has said, this is when I'm available, but you are really struggling to respect those boundaries, if that makes sense. Then it's something to talk about and have a conversation about because probably where this might be stemming from for you is from a trauma history and is from just wanting to feel like you can form a safe attachment with that person but in order to do that kind of like what Kate said earlier you might be swinging the other way a little bit at first and just really being able to talk about it with your therapist with how the two of you can do that together in a way that respects the therapist's time and respects that they are not on the clock 24-7 and available to you at all hours of the day and night. And also so that you can feel safe and comfortable and kind of have that need for the therapist hopefully, I don't know, quenched a little bit. <laughs> Speaking of, I will say that uh, the therapist ought to be able to have that conversation with you. Oh, yeah. Let's let's hope. <laughs> and the therapist, I would also say, um, you know, again, the therapist can have whatever boundaries they want to have um but i think it's also really important that the therapist does not say i don't know doesn't take a real black and white stance like i had a client once when i worked in community mental health who she would call me on average about eight times a day and it wasn't that i told her she could never call me you can't call me ever in between sessions (laughs) you know i wouldn't set that strict of a boundary with any client because I need to make sure that they can reach me if they need to. Um, But I requested that she only call me twice a day. (laughs) So I narrowed it down a little bit. So, yeah, I agree, Kate, that that would be something, too, of, like, if your therapist either can have that conversation with you or basically tries to shame you or just completely tells you you cannot do this ever. Is there too freaked out? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Hopefully you guys can navigate it together would be important i like that are we on to awkward self-promotion yes let's let's do some awkward self-promotion and there are some updates this time um to awkward self-promotion so we have said the last two episodes that if you do or uh, the first episode i guess we said this that if you do go on to our patreon and if you contribute at the 
uh, $10 a month level. There's lots of different perks you get, and one of those perks is a sticker. And we actually decided to change that, so now you get a magnet. <laughs> it's really cool. I have them, and the I really like them. The magnets are cool. Yes. Um, so anyways, there's a little change there with what one of the perks is with Patreon. Um, and also, we realized, too, that with finding the Facebook group, because we had previously been saying, oh, just go onto Facebook and search for the Couch and the Chair podcast and you'll find us, because that's totally what is supposed to happen. And we realized that that's not really what happens, because couch and chair are very common words. So um, if you have been trying to join the Facebook group and if you're like, I can't find it, <laughs> we've changed some things there as well. Um, so anyways, there are a couple different different amendments there. Uh, I guess I'll start with the Facebook group. So now if you are wanting to join the Facebook group and show us support in that way and keep up with updates on episodes and stuff, basically we have put the link to the Facebook group in the description of the podcast. So whatever platform you're listening on, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you may be listening, you should be able to see a link to the Facebook group in the podcast description now. Or if you just want to go to Facebook, you can just go to facebook.com slash groups with an S slash the couch and the chair and you can find the Facebook group that way. Um, I was talking briefly about Patreon, so I'll go back to that. If you do want to contribute on Patreon, go to patreon.com slash the couch and the chair. And then if you have future topic ideas for us, like this listener did today, you can email us at the couch and the chair at gmail.com. Or if you're a therapist wanting to be on a future episode, we definitely probably in the nearish future have some episodes coming with guests. We don't know exactly <laughs> when. Probably. <laughs> definitely probably. Uh, that's that's going to be happening. We just don't know the exact timeline of that yet. So Yeah, because we already have a few people that are interested, right? Yes, we do. And now we just need to figure out what we're gonna record and what the topics are gonna be and actually get the ball. All the, the nitty gritty. So, yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right closing moment yes let's do it okay awesome <sighs> all right so wherever you are go ahead and get into some sort of comfortable position and sit down lay down stand whatever feels good to you and if you're safe and comfortable doing so you can go ahead and close your eyes we're going to begin today by just tuning into our breath you don't have to breathe any more slowly or any more deeply than you do naturally. It's just about tuning in. Just about paying attention, noticing the rhythms and the sensations of your breath. And letting those welcome you into the moment and into your body. And now we're going to move that same focused and curious attention down into our feet. And just notice, what can you feel there? Are your feet warm or cold, comfortable or sore? If you're wearing shoes or socks, can you feel the fabric or the pressure? 
If your feet are bare, can you feel whatever they're touching? There's no right or wrong answers here. Nothing you're supposed to feel or not feel. And we're just tuning in. Just paying attention and asking that body part what it has to say and listening to whatever the answer may be. Now we're going to move our attention up into our legs. You notice whatever temperature your body is. You can notice perhaps whatever clothing may be touching your legs. If you're sitting or laying down, you may feel the weight of them against the chair or floor or bed. Just tuning in, just scanning your leg all the way from the ankle up to your thighs and taking in whatever information they have to give without judgment and without attachment. We're going to move our attention up again now into our hips, our pelvis, our buttocks, our lower abdomen and lower back. Again, just bringing curiosity to this part of our bodies. Again, noticing comfort level, noticing if there's any pain or discomfort. Noticing temperature, pressure, maybe texture of clothing or furniture. In this part of your body, you may also begin to notice some emotions, and that's okay too. Whatever does show up, whatever doesn't show up, is exactly right, exactly how it's supposed to be. We're just paying attention, just listening. Moving our attention up again into our upper abdomen, our chest, our upper back, our shoulders. Here you may begin to feel your breath as well. Maybe also some more emotions might be living in these parts of your body. You might notice temperature, you might notice clothing, comfort or discomfort. There's no right or wrong answers. There's nothing good or bad. It's just about paying attention. Just about welcoming any information given by this part of your body. Just about being open and non-judgmental. Giving it a voice and listening to whatever it has to say. Moving our attention once again, this time out into our arms and all the way down into the tips of our fingers. You might notice the texture of whatever your hands are resting against. You may notice the difference in temperature from where your clothing starts and stops, where your skin is exposed and where it's not. If your arms are resting on something, you may feel the weight as it presses against that piece of furniture or part of your body. Always coming back 
to the fact that nothing is good, bad, right, wrong. It's all just information. It's all just listening to whatever it might have to say to you. Last but not least, bringing our attention up into our necks, our faces, our head. You might notice if any of the muscles in your face are tense, if your jaw is clenched or relaxed. You might notice the sensation or the rhythm of your breath as it moves in your throat or your nose or your mouth. Nothing good or bad, nothing right or wrong. Just tuning in and paying attention. Just listening. Just being in the space with our body. Now I'd have you take two or three slow, deep breaths and start to notice again any sounds in the room with you, really letting go of the focused attention in your body and coming back into the current space and time. You might stretch, roll your head, neck, shoulders, wrists, ankles, whatever feels good to you right now. And when you're ready, you can open your eyes. Thank you so much, everyone. Thanks, everyone.